You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Lesson 13, The Spirit is the Answer to the Materialism of Our Age, Section 18 of Redemptor Hominus. Now that we've looked at man's situation in the modern world and seen these threats to his dignity and flourishing, we have arrived at the root crisis of our time. As Benedict XVI will explain John Paul II's writing, it's that God is absent from the horizon of our choices. Men have forgotten God, as, John, as Solzhenitsyn said. We have abandoned the transcendent wisdom and love that leads to a truly human life. And we need Christ as the Redeemer of man to reforge that link. So John Paul II turns again to the mystery of Christ to direct our thoughts and hearts to Jesus Christ the mystery of the, and the mystery of the redemption. Because he says the question of man is inscribed with a special vigor and love in the redemption. This idea that the question of man is inscribed in Christ is a nice way of saying that Christ united himself with each man as the new Adam who brings things to perfection and that the image and likeness of God in which man was made but lost through sin is to be rediscovered and refound in Christ. We can't understand ourselves because of the obscurity of our mind and weakness of our will that are the consequences of original sin. So for this greater reason, Christ opens a new way that even goes beyond what Adam first knew or had, or that any human being in their natural capacity could know or do. Christ reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. That's the mystery of the redemption and why human life is inscribed in it. So the church's concern for man's vocation in Christ, that's what this section is about. It says we need to penetrate the depth of the unity that Christ has with humanity to understand how the church can live her nature and mission because the church is the body of Christ. And in this body, each man receives the breath of life that comes from Christ. This section is replete with references to the Holy Spirit as the giver of life and the source of renewal. This anticipates that encyclical on the Holy Spirit. All these passages are brought together with explanations of how the Spirit takes up the work of Christ to redeem man. But here he brings them in to talk about redemption and the church's role in bringing about redemption. The hopes and sufferings and achievements and failures are a great reason we need to have hope in the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes from the crucified and risen Christ to strengthen us and bring us truth. And the Church lives the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. 
Here are the steps again. We've seen them. Christ united himself with the church in the mystery of redemption. That's why the church will be strongly united with each man. Christ is the head of all mankind, Thomas Aquinas explains. They may be potentially members or those who are active, those who need to be called by the Holy Spirit who works in hidden ways, but the fundamental truth that Christ united himself with each man and that the church is the body of Christ leads to that proclamation that the church must see man as its way. Because each is called to be a partaker in God's life. As St. Peter said, we participate in the divine life and are newly created in Christ. John Paul II does just a brief summary of the church's teaching on grace. For the Catholic Church is about grace, about the new life in Christ through baptism and the development of sanctity. Christ is the source of the power. To those who believed, he gave power to become children of God. And this transforms each inwardly. The power is a new source of life, he says, that does not pass away, but lasts until eternal life. The theological term is sanctifying grace or habitual grace. That is what John Paul II is making reference to here. The life that's given through Christ is the final fulfillment of man's vocation. The calling or vocation that comes to each man through Christ is said to be the supreme or highest or final fulfillment of his nature. Because this call builds upon our nature, it perfects it. By nature we are called to wisdom and knowledge of God. But without Christ, it's hard to see beyond our temporal destiny. The eternal destiny is often hidden from us, and that's why we must walk in faith. As Newman would pray, lead kindly light amidst the encircling gloom, lead thou me on. The dark is night and I am far from home, lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet, I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. That's Cardinal Newman. And so too John Paul II says the divine destiny is advancing in spite of its enigma, unsolved riddles and twists and turns of human destiny in the world of time. As far as we walk along the path in time, he says, we are restless, still in potential and hope, but death awaits us. And there, too, we see Christ as the goal of our salvation. In spite of all the riches of life and time, we are necessarily and inevitably led to the frontier of death and the destruction of the human body. But beyond that end of our temporal existence, we see Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. In Jesus Christ, who was crucified and laid in the tomb and then rose again, 
our hope of resurrection dawned, the bright promise of immortality, John Paul II says. On this way, man, even with the death of the body, which we share with the whole physical world, we receive a great hope that dawns on all mankind and on each individual. And it's that hope that sustains the Christian journey in time and in service. John Paul II is assuming the full stature of this vision of the human person called integral humanism, which many shy away from, even Catholic philosophers and thinkers, who are beat down by the pressure and rhetoric of secular humanism. John Paul II's vision is very bracing to lead right up to the resurrection as an important feature of the dignity of man. Jacques Maritain was one of the first to formulate this idea of integral humanism, or theocentric humanism, he calls it, against that secular humanism that reigns in our world today. Maritain says that type of humanism deliberately shuts out what transcends man. The ancient humanism of the Greeks recognized that man surpasses man and is led on to a superhuman existence and contemplation and love, but they did not see the way to get there. Maritain said the new humanism, the theocentric or integral humanism, should consider man in all his natural grandeur and weakness in the entirety of his wounded being inhabited by God, in the full reality of nature, sin, and sainthood. Such a humanism would recognize all that is irrational in man in order to tame it to reason, and all that is supra-rational in order to have reason vivified by it and to open man to the descent of the divine in him. Its main work would be to cause the gospel leaven and inspiration to penetrate the secular structures of life and lead to the work of sanctification of the temporal order. End of quote from Maritain. This is what John Paul II is unfolding now in this section, a full integral humanism. We must look to the resurrection of our Lord. And secondly, he says, we must look to the Holy Spirit, who is sent by the Father and Son after our Lord dies on the cross and is raised up. He says, we must fathom ever more deeply the language of truth that man, that the Redeemer enshrined in the phrase, it's the Spirit that gives life, the flesh is of no avail. In spite of appearances, these words express the higher affirmation of man. It affirms the body is given life by the Spirit. Well, again, we are body and soul. We are cultural beings in time. We must be educated and rely on the life of our community. But we live by the word of God and not by bread alone. So in the next part of section 18, John Paul II explains what it means to recognize that the Spirit gives life. It will lead to this proclamation, the heart of this section, the appeal to the Spirit 
and the spirit is the answer to the materialism of our age. We need to unpack that some. What does he mean by spirit? It refers, of course, to the Holy Spirit, but it also means the spirit of man, the spirituality of his deepest powers and longings, which are denied by materialist culture. We learn that our longing, stirred by truth, goodness, and beauty, are part of that appeal to the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, which will lead us to the Holy Spirit and is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So to say that the Spirit is an answer to the materialism of our age calls to the Spirit of man, these deep calls to his intellect, will, heart, and conscience. As Augustine and Newman would say, heart calls to heart, deep calls to deep. St. Paul talks about the spirit that groans inwardly. The human soul is beyond our grasp. It is deeper than our explicit images or wakeful consciousness. Augustine refers to it as an abyss or a deep that should provoke our wonder. Aquinas explains that the rational soul is a spiritual soul, and from it emerge powers of intellect and will whose object is truth and goodness, and these goods are spiritual and infinite. So Aquinas says the human soul is capax universi. It has a capacity for the universe, which is what a spirit is. We'd even say the human soul is capax dei, has a capacity for God. That is the spirit of man. Jacques Maritain, to return to his formulation and description in Education at the Crossroads, reminds us here when he says, we must answer the question, what is man? And as John Paul II does, Maritain says there are Greek, Jewish, and Christian elements in this integral humanism. Man is an animal endowed by reason. That's Aristotle. His supreme dignity is intellect but he's a free individual in personal relation with God whose supreme righteousness is voluntarily obeying the law of God. And man is a sinful and wounded creature called to divine life and to the freedom of grace whose supreme perfection consists of love. That is Maritain's description of the human soul and its capacity. So that to understand the human being, we must also understand truth, goodness, beauty, God. Because it's only with these that the human being arrives at complete fulfillment. Maritain says we have a spiritual fatherland, which consists of the order of things with absolute value, and which reflect in some manner a divine absolute which has the power of attraction. So goodness, truth, beauty are themselves absolutes that point to God because they are names of God. The spirit is the answer to the materialism of our age because it's with the fulfillment of the person and its deepest longings that the Holy Spirit will act and stir us up to seek Christ and the wisdom and love of God.
So you could say, really, a third meaning of the spirit is not only the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the human soul, but these pure perfections that we say, the good, the true, the beautiful, these are in some way free from matter or can't be reduced. They are called transcendentals by Thomas Aquinas. And they are more vital for the life of human beings than physical security. Maritain says, once you touch a transcendental, to touch a likeness of being, our lives are ennobled and we find delight because we enter into the domain of the spirit. And it's how we communicate with each other through truth and goodness. He goes on to say, let one touch the good or love like the saints or the true like Aristotle or the beautiful like Dante or Bach or Giotto. And contact is made. Men communicate. It brings people together. End of quote of Maritain. So when John Paul II says the church lives by the truth about man, the whole truth, and goes beyond the bounds of temporariness and materiality, while paying attention to all the dimensions of the human person in his physical existence and in time, but the appeal, the call, will be to intellect and will because they are an internal dynamism that impel us outward and upward towards the true and the good. We search for those transcendentals through art and beauty, through imagination, education, and literature. And philosophy, though abstract, no less reflects that tension between man's finitude and his desire for wisdom and the search for the absolute. So John Paul, trained as a Thomist philosopher, has this in his background about the powers of the soul and the various habits or virtues of each power. In this encyclical, that's just being assumed as a background. And it is a necessary part of Catholic education and formation to know such things. But for the purpose of stepping onto the world stage and announcing his project to the world and the church, he uses a more Augustinian language. Thus he states that the dynamism of the human spirit and the temporal dimensions of his life give rise to a never-ending restlessness referred to by St. Augustine. You made yourself for us, Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This is a creative restlessness that pulsates with what is most human, a hunger for freedom, a nostalgia for beautiful, the voice of conscience, the search for the truth. A power of the soul is a dynamism. It moves outward in search of its proper object. That is the spiritual pulsation of the soul. Pulsation derives from a Latin term, to knock, Augustine encouraged his readers to knock, to ask, to seek, because it will be open to them. They will receive. To engage and discover this creative restlessness within the person, within society and culture, is what John Paul II says we must do. For the Holy Spirit will respond. The Spirit is an answer to the materialism of our age. 
In our age, human persons are often denied these experiences or opportunities because of materialism, consumerism, workaholism, technology, scientism, political tyranny, keep people from exploring or consulting their conscience or looking for the truth or the beautiful. So many even despair. The promise of redemption through drawing close to Christ is to see that in this mystery of redemption, the human person will get its full treatment in faith and reason. We need to draw close to Christ and marvel at the human being in the depths or in that abyss of the person, seeking truth, seeking the good. Totalitarian ideologies and even now big, the big power of media in Western society leads, as I said, to an effective shutting down of this search for the transcendent, for wisdom and love. Totalitarian regimes even substitute for religion. And mass society often intimidates the individual so that we too easily are intimidated by majority opinion. Tocqueville said the majority can easily extinguish the freedom of the mind and can break down by breaking down bonds of classes or associations, the human spirit may find itself bound in fetters of the general will. That's Tocqueville. The church must push back against this closing of the mind and heart. That's why John Paul II proclaims the Redeemer of man should encourage our wonder at the dignity of the person and why he places in such a central role religious freedom and freedom of conscience Freedom of conscience should not collapse into subjectivism or relativism if there is an authentic search. He characterizes seeking, the seeking of truth in God as the key to religious freedom. We must seek the truth and appropriate it. Without freedom of conscience, one cannot exercise this deepest part of oneself. We are locked in our childhood formation or just formed by the propaganda of the state. Advertising, commercial interest, and media can squelch this voice of conscience. And the motion of the intellect and will after the authentic true and good but John Paul II says this very denial of the spirit can stir up a longing in the heart for something greater, for God. Materialism gives birth to an insatiability in the human heart, he says. The heart is restless until it rests in God. The spirit is the answer to the materialism of our age because the heart will respond to the Holy Spirit. The search for truth is a pulsation of the intellect, a root spiritual power, an insatiable need for truth. And so too the will should find its own freedom and responsibility to escape slavery to things and matter, to be truly free. 
and the voice of conscience is the deepest encounter of the spirit of man with the spirit of God. For conscience is precisely the voice of God in him. In his encyclical on the Holy Spirit, John Paul will say, the spirit convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the conscience of each man is where this drama will take place. Freedom of religion appeals to the dynamism of conscience. So the human person is enveloped by the Redeemer of man and the Holy Spirit. And as we respond to baptism, we should have a new attitude to see each man with the eyes of Christ, to become more and more aware that the church is the guardian of a great treasure, which she must not waste but increase. This treasure is the care for and the love of the human person created in the image and likeness of God. This treasure of humanity is enriched, he said, by the inexpressible mystery of divine filiation and the grace of adoption as sons. So this third and most proper meaning of the Spirit as an answer to the materialism of the age is the Holy Spirit himself. It is the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and Jesus Christ that unifies the church, inwardly gives meaning to all of her activity. It's the Holy Spirit who gives life. He says, through this force, the church is united with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised and continually communicated by the Redeemer, and whose descent, which was revealed on that day of Pentecost, endures forever. Thus, the powers of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are revealed in man. It's the end of a quote from John Paul II. And what a rich statement this is. At Pentecost, the church is born. She is equipped and activated for her mission. But even more profoundly, each receives the power of the Spirit to become holy, to have a sanctifying grace. The gifts equip each member to live the life of Christ, to live the truth of the Sermon on the Mount, to live the reality of the Beatitudes as taught by our Lord. The gifts of the Spirit are revealed in man, and these gifts of understanding, wisdom, fortitude, are beautiful opportunities for the saint to grow and to live in holiness, and the gifts of the Spirit of love, joy, and peace should answer the materialism of our age. So he says, the present-day church repeats with ever greater fervor and holy insistence, come, Holy Spirit, come. Heal our wounds, our strength renew. On our dryness pour your dew. Wash the stains of guilt away. Bend the stubborn heart and will, melt the frozen, warm the chill, guide the steps that go astray. The appeal to the Spirit made by the Church should attract all human beings in their creative restlessness and in their own spirit to discover that growing need for what is spiritual. That need is expressed by people outside the visible confines of the church, John Paul II says. 
for the church is a sacrament and sign and means of intimate union with God and the unity of all mankind. To live the life of the Spirit is a deep witness to the Redeemer of man. The invocation, he said, addressed to the Spirit to obtain the Spirit is a constant insertion into the magnitude of the mystery of redemption. Because Christ, united with the Father in each man, will communicate to us the Spirit, who places within us sentiments of the Son and directs us to the Father. End of quote. This is the gift of piety that directs the Son to the Father and to love all human beings as brothers and sisters made in the image and likeness of God and enveloped by Christ in his redeeming act. So perhaps now we can finally understand the depth of this vision of faith of Pope John Paul II, why he wrote this encyclical to focus our minds and hearts on Christ, the Redeemer of man. And he concludes as follows. This is why the church in our time a time hungry for the Spirit because it's hungry for justice, peace, love, goodness, and fortitude. And human dignity must gather around that mystery, finding in it the light and strength that are indispensable for her mission. End of quote. This is the Supreme Pontiff in his first proclamation letter to the world. Man is the way to Christ. He's a mystery that should arouse our wonder at the dignity of the person and most of all the dignity of divine adoption received by Christ through grace of the Holy Spirit and wonder at our destination to grace and glory. Man is the way of the church and also our way of service in love. We will now turn to the section on Christian service for it's by accepting with a faith that is more and more aware of a love that is more firm that the church makes herself better fitted to service to man, to which Christ the Lord calls her when he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.